Good morning. Well, it is the Halloween season right now, and so I have one question for you. What's your favorite Halloween candy? All of it. That is a great answer. I like that. But in honesty, the only Halloween candy that matters are really the Reese Cups because they make them Christmas trees at Christmas time, Easter bunnies at Easter time, fireworks at Fourth of July time, and pumpkins at Halloween time. So here you go. Who would like a pumpkin? Oh, oh, oh. Well, in the back, you're getting them quicker than I'm able to get them out up front. So, oh, Stacy, I'm sorry. Ah, oh, we're going over there. There we go. Okay. Now, I'm sorry for those of you that are in the middle because I cannot get them to you, okay? I'm just saying. Here we go. I know, it's a weak arm. That's all I've got to say. I'm going to take somebody out with these. There we go. Ouch, that hurt. All right, I'll give you some love, though. There you go. All right, my last one. There it goes. I hope I didn't take your head off. Okay, good. Well, again, the Boo Bash today is going to be great. Thousands of kids coming, lots of candy, lots of games, lots of stuff going on. Just because we love you all, that's why we do that. We are in the middle of a series that we're calling Revelation. It's a unique name for a unique series. Um, not really unique at all, but it's a really good book. And we're taking an overview of what I, I can't catch my breath now. Wow. Online campus, give me a second, okay? We're doing an overview of what I consider to be the most, I don't know, misrepresented book in the Bible. You know, the, the, the book that's the most maybe controversial for some people, um, the book that either we want to avoid or that's all we want to study. I, I think most of the misconception as you dig through it is, is, is mostly about the things that you read that you don't understand, right? It's a little bit scary. It's a little bit strange. But in reality, it's not meant to be scary. In reality, it's supposed to give you some hope. It's supposed to bring you some peace. It's supposed to give you some support. That's the purpose of the book. But to get to that point of finding hope and revelation, we have to understand what's happening in the culture. We just do, or you're not going to get it. Last week, we talked about the Colosseum and the 100,000 people that were killed uh, in the Colosseum with all the animals. And, and you had to understand that to get to where John's coming from in, in this writing. And and you just have to go through it and, and look at things from a different perspective. For example, if you're going to find that hope and peace, then you have to understand what the objects mean in Revelation. We, we've talked about Revelation 1.16. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance, and that sword means um, power. And so when it's coming out of the mouth, it means that your words are powerful because a sword meant power, you know? And so whose words are you going to listen to? That's your choice. But everything that someone says to you has power in your life, either for the good or for the bad. I'm choosing to listen to Jesus' words because I want that power in my life. And then you look at the numbers. The seven represents God. The 12 represents the people of God. 
the 666, which is like the Halloween scary kind of number, isn't supposed to be scary at all. It's supposed to let you know that God as 777 is greater than, more powerful than, is bigger than anything that's below him at 666. Now, there's some power in the, in, in the 666, but that's not what this is about. It's about God being able to overcome anything that's thrown our way. And again, the, the key to understanding and unlocking Revelation is understanding the main character in the book of Revelation, which is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about the beast. It's not about the number of the beast. It's not about the Antichrist, which is never mentioned in the book of Revelation. It's all about Jesus. Now, we're, we're going to take a look just real quickly here at this video um, from BibleProject.com, and it just gives a good, quick overview of where we're studying today. Take a look at this. After this, John has a vision of God's heavenly throne room, and he describes it with imagery drawn from many Old Testament prophets. Surrounding God are creatures and elders that represent all creation and human nations, and they're giving honor and allegiance to the one true creator God who is holy, holy, holy. In God's hand is a scroll that's closed up with seven wax seals. It symbolizes the message of the Old Testament prophets and the sealed scroll of Daniel's vision. These are all about how God's kingdom will come here fully on earth as in heaven. But it turns out no one is able to open the scroll until John hears of someone who can. It's the lion from the tribe of Judah and the root of David. He can open it. These are classic Old Testament descriptions of the Messianic king who would bring God's kingdom through military conquest. Now, that's what John hears. But then what he turns and sees is not an aggressive lion king, but a sacrificed bloody lamb who's alive, standing there, and ready to open the scroll. Now, this symbol of Jesus as the slain lamb, this is crucially important for understanding the book. John's saying that the Old Testament promise of God's future victorious kingdom was inaugurated through the crucified Messiah. Jesus overcame his enemies by dying for them as the true Passover lamb so that they could be redeemed. Because of the resurrection, Jesus' death on the cross was not a defeat. It was his enthronement. It was the way he conquered evil. And so this vision concludes with the lamb alongside the one sitting on the throne. And together they are worshipped as the one true creator and redeemer. And the slain lamb begins to open the scroll. It's a symbol of his divine authority to guide history to its conclusion. Now, when you look at that and you look at what he's talking about, it's a great way to get a good understanding. Again, that's BibleProject.com. Anytime you have a question about something in the Bible, don't just Google it. Go to some place that has some great answers. And, and this one really does. Uh, BibleProject.com, I love what they put out. Our job is to look at what's there. For example, last week, the message to the seven churches, and, and Jesus spoke to them, telling them to come back to their first love, to change what they were doing. That's the message that we have to kind of take and figure out how do we take that and how do we kind of combine that gap between what we know and what we don't know and how do we make that work in our lives. Revelation chapter 4 says this in verse 1. After this I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must, must take place after this. Now, in the ancient world, there was this belief 
that for God to get to us, he had to come through a doorway. And for us to go to God, we had to go through a doorway. So a literal doorway. And that's an interesting concept, but I don't believe that's accurate. See, I believe God is omnipresent, which means God is everywhere all the time, right? That's who God is. And so God doesn't need to come through a doorway to get to us because he's already with us. And we don't need to go through a doorway, a literal doorway, to get to God because God's already with us, right? So you've got to understand understand kind of the symbolism that's taking place here. In Revelation 4, chapter or verse 2, it says, At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Don't overlook the simple words, all right, because they might have significant meaning. Uh, whenever you, you look at the word throne, it's one of the most important words in the book of Revelation, and it's used 47 times. And each time it represents power. So you've got to get this concept, the throne is power. John's reminding the people, including us, that even though Caesar sits on the throne and he has power because he's the most powerful person in the country, he doesn't sit on the throne with ultimate power. All right, somebody has more power than he does, and that someone is Jesus. And I think we need to hear that today because we live in a country where we're governed by the president and our Congress and our Supreme Court. And John wants to remind us that that's not the highest authority. No matter what they have to say to you, no matter how how passionate you are about your politics, no matter how that plays out, that is not the ultimate authority. Jesus is the ultimate authority. Jesus sits on the ultimate throne, and Jesus is ultimately in control. So don't forget that. It's right here for us in Revelation. All right, verse 3. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Now, again, we got to get through some of this stuff, and I've got to explain this so that the next, the next teaching kind of makes more sense. All right, so a lot of in-depth stuff here. When you're looking at that, 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 that jasper, jasper is a pure stone. That means light can go back and forth between it without it being interrupted. And that purity is really important because it represents God's purity or God's holiness. The red and the ruby, they say, represents God's judgment. Now, in Exodus 28, it says that on the square breastplate of the high priest, there were 12 stones. High priest is Old Testament, represents God's kingdom. 12 stones, and each stone represented one of the 12 tribes of Israel. All right? It's symbolic of the fact that anywhere the high priest went, the people of God went with him. All right? You've got to get these. That they were constantly represented and constantly resting over that high priest's heart which means they were close. It's like God wearing a locket with your picture in it, and he's wearing it around his neck, and he's that close to your heart. That's important. Everywhere God goes, you go with him. You're always with him. He's always thinking about you, and that's what worship is. We engage, and we connect, and we say, God, thank you for always thinking about me, and God, when I worship, I want you to know that you're on my heart because I know that I'm on yours. That's worship. 
That's that connecting that's so important. And it's pretty clear in the New Testament that our hearts are the throne room of God, right? This, this is where God is, because don't miss this. God isn't out there somewhere. God is as close as your heart. That's the meaning behind it. He's right here. Let me ask you a question. What's your first thought in the morning? Besides, I have to go pee. What's your next thought in the morning? What, what is it? Is it worry? Is it frustration? Is it fear? Is it anxiety? Is it Chick-fil-A biscuits sound really good right now? What's your first thought? Somebody tell me your first thought. I want to go back to bed. Exactly. That's most of us, right? Uh, you, you know, when, you, when you're looking at the world, there are two types of people. The people who love to get up early and then the people who love to hate the people who love to get up early. Which one are you? Are you, are you an early person or are you a hater? Yeah, me too. I hate people that love to get up super early. Sorry, I don't hate you. Okay, let's make that very clear. Just not my preference. You know, when, when I ask you what your first thought in the morning was, is because so many of us don't realize what God has always promised us. He's always promised to protect us, to guide us, to love us. And when it says a rainbow that shone around an emerald encircled the throne, that rainbow is all about the fact that God keeps his promises. That's what a rainbow means. It means God keeps his promises. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to fail you. He's not going to leave you. He promises to be with you all the time. You remember the rainbow in the Bible? It was given to who? Noah. As what? As a sign, as a covenant that he would not flood the world again. Now that rainbow, again, is, is continuously saying, I keep my promises. I'm faithful. I'll rescue you from the storms of life. God gave another covenant to a guy named Abraham. And he said, I'm going to seal this covenant with circumcision. Now, Abraham has to look at that and say, uh, God, can you help me here? Why does Noah get a pretty little rainbow and I get the knife? I don't get that. God, can you help me out with this one? God's going, sorry, it's the way it is. And every boy has suffered since, right? You, you know that covenant, though. Maybe when we wake up in the morning before the, the clouds kind of hit our minds and the negative thoughts start coming and the storms of life sit in and start to rain on us, maybe our first thought should be, God is with me. Because that rainbow is a covenant promise for me. God is with me. Revelation 4.4, surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. The number of 24, again, it's a significant spiritual number in the Bible. In the Old Testament, there were 24 divisions of priests. It's important. So the 24 elders could represent the 24 priests of the new covenant. Some say there are 24 ruling angels in heaven. Okay. Some say that the ruler Domitian had 24 bodyguards and that this is showing that those bodyguards weren't as powerful as God's rulers and bodyguards. I think all those have some validity, right? I also think that the elders represent us. 
we're God's people. When we're faithful, when we endure, when we make it through, we're represented by those elders. And you need to know they're seated on the thrones and there's power there. And that power goes out to all of us. So that's an important thing to look at. Then they're dressed in white. What does white represent? Purity. Yeah, it's pretty simple, isn't it? I mean, it's basic cultural. It's basic no matter when you lived or what time frame it was. White is purity. It's, it's perfection. Romans seven fourteen. I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's where our perfection comes from. We can't come before a holy God except for our robes being washed in the blood of the Lamb. That makes them white. Isaiah 1.18, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. They're also wearing crowns of gold. Now, in this culture, there were only three people that wore crowns of gold. They, they would have been slaves that were released, and that gold crown represented the fact that they were free. No one could put them back in bondage. They're free. The second group of people would have been athletes, and it represented their victory in the Olympic Games. Anybody like the Olympics? Anybody? Winter Olympics were at the beginning of this year. You know, they were winter, but they were still the beginning of this year, 2022. Anybody like watching any of the Winter Olympics? Favorite sport is in the Olympics? Ski jump? Figure skating? Even better than that? Curling. Anybody like to watch the curling? I have no idea why I am mesmerized by these guys throwing a stone down a, a lane of ice. Sweep, left, 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 right, 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 harder, soft, whatever. I have no, no idea why I'm mesmerized by that, but I am. I'll watch it all day long when it's on. I don't care if it's Sweden playing Yugoslavia. I don't care. I'm just watching to see this thing go down that, that ice. You know, just mesmerize. What I love about, about the Olympics is when you see the gold medal winners up on the center platform and you see the tears welling up in their eyes and the gold medal around their neck, and they're saying, listen, I've overcome everything that was in my way. Everything. I've worked hard. I've trained hard. I've suffered the pain. I've suffered through the difficulties and the pressures, and I've overcome. And because of that, I've been given this gold medal. The other person who would have worn a crown like this was the emperor because of his wealth and his power. All right? So those are the crown wearers. It's kind of the same crown that God promises to give to his faithful people who can endure to the end. In other words, don't give up. Don't walk away. It's the crown of victory, the crown of freedom. It's a gift of God to you when you overcome. So don't turn your back on him. Verses 5 and 6. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, as clear as crystal. So you have two pictures here. You have thunder and lightning and rumbling, and then you have this crystal clear sea of glass. What is that? Every time God sees somebody, meets somebody in this world, what is there? Elijah. Thunder, lightning, rumbling, earthquakes. 
you know, Moses, whenever he's, he, he's getting the thing, you know, just flames and everything is a little bit of a chaos. And so you see that and then you see the contradiction of this crystal clear sea. Now understand, in this day and age, the sea was the most feared thing around. Columbus hadn't crossed it. Jacques Cousteau hadn't filmed anything in it. I know that's dating myself a little bit, but he hadn't, right? It was a mystery, and it was scary, and it seemed like it was never ended, and it was just violent, not someplace you wanted to be. And at the very end of the book of Revelation, it says, there will be no ocean in heaven. That means the biggest thing that you're afraid of will be gone. It'll no longer separate us because we'll be together in the presence of God. It's the sea of glass in the throne room of God. It's God's approachability. Yet he's the judge and he's powerful, the thunder and the lightning. But to his children, to us who are enduring to the end, he's a loving father. Hebrews 4.14 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In other words, God who is seated on the throne is not only available, but he's accessible and we can come before him. We can approach him. Revelation 4, 6. In the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in the front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third was the face of a man and fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and were covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, don't miss this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. These creatures are really kind of interesting, aren't they? I mean, they're really kind of weird, aren't they? Look, look at the picture. This is just, you know, the wings and the eyes and the, 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 the different heads. The part that gets me are the eyes. If you're kind of my age, you'll get this. I flash back to this song, I always feel like someone's watching me. That's kind of it, you know? No matter where I go, they're watching. They, they see everything. Anybody else have a mother with eyes in the back of her head? Yeah, they see everything. They, they just do. The first creature is like a lion. That's the most powerful of the wild animals. The second creature was like an ox. That's the most powerful of the domesticated animals. The third creature was a man, the most powerful of all created beings. And the fourth was like an eagle, the most powerful creature in the air. They represent the entire creation of God. Everything that's there. And they all are worshiping God day and night. Never stopping. Which is exactly what all creation was designed to do. You know that, right? Revelation 5, 9. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal because you were slain 
And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000, and they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. If you've read through the book of Revelation, have you noticed how much worship happens there? It's all through the book, all through. No one seems to be rushed because they're doing it all the time. And for everything for us, it's driven by what? By time. The clock, our schedules. We're always in a hurry. Is there any way that we can overcome this, the, the, this hurried kind of worship? Can we get to an unhurried place in life to worship. I heard about a guy who was 90 years old and he got married to a younger woman. She was 83, but it was her first marriage. She had waited 82 years for her bridegroom to come and sweep her away and marry her and love her. 82 years as Christ followers. That's kind of what we're doing here. We worship and are hoping and waiting for our groom, Jesus, to come and take us away and to love us, to fulfill us. When it comes to our worship services, in this culture, they're all the same. They, 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 they just are. You have music, you have teaching, you have communion, you have some connection. That's our current worship. How many of you like the music time? like your toddlers. You want music time now? Here we go. How many of you like the music time? Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely love it. Um, <laughs> how, how many of you, tell me what your favorite worship song is. What, what's your favorite worship song? Waymaker, Cornerstone, Oceans, Never Changing God. There are, yeah, Charlie would be happy. There, there are a lot of there are a lot of great songs out there, you know, to, to connect you to God. And so now, what's your favorite all-time song? How Great Thou Art? That's awesome. Amazing Grace? How about, give me that old-time rock and roll. That's one of my favorite all-time songs, all right? I'm just, just throwing it out there. And maybe a little Tom Petty. Um, anyway... You've got all this music, and what music does to us is it, is it draws us in. It just really does. It draws us in, and it has a way of reaching deep inside of us. Isn't it amazing how songs have a way to do that? I watch this every year on purpose. I watch the Rocky movie, every, the original, the first Rocky movie, every year on purpose, and every time... Dun, 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 dun. Every time that music comes on, I want to drink raw eggs and run some steps. It's what it does. You know, 
and I drink raw eggs and throw up, and then I sit in back in my chair. So anyway, but that's what I want to do, right? Now, whenever you listen to some country music, can it just rip your heart out? I mean, it really, really can. You know, my best friend ran away with my wife, and they took my dog, and man, I miss that dog. I mean, that's the kind of heart-wrenching kind of moments that go into those songs. And then you have some worship songs, and they make you just want to absolutely fall on your face before God. Because music has a way to do that for us. How many of you have seen people critique worship services? How many of you have critiqued a worship service? Yeah, every hand needs to go up. Every one of you. Because I get it, that sermon was way too long. I know, I know. I screwed up the ending of the 9 o'clock service, and I did. I know. I know, you know, the drums were way too loud. I know the, the, the you know, the, the, the singer was way off key. Okay, listen, that doesn't happen, and Charlie's always on key, okay? That doesn't happen here anymore, but no, it just doesn't. But whenever, I'm not saying anything negative about anyone, all right? Whenever you, you think about what worship really is and who it's really for, Man, it's all about God, whether it's the music or the teaching or just being present in the presence of an almighty God who has the power to take away your past and the power to give you new life. Worship is what we need to do, and every creature in Revelation does it. Now, in the throne room, they stood up from their thrones because God had given them those thrones, and they stood up from them, and they bowed down, and they took off their crowns, because God had given them those crowns, and they bowed down before him and worshiped. Verse 5, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He's able to open all scrolls and its seven seals. You worship because Jesus is the lamb that was slain and he had the power to conquer the grave and come back to life for you, so your sins are forgiven, so you have eternal life. Verse 7, he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people, and they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000, and they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Everything worships. Everything worships. 
verse 13, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. I want you to repeat this last verse with me, these last couple verses, out loud, loudly, if you will, starting in verse 12. Say it with me. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever amen we stand with me right now we're going to take the power of that scripture and the power of this music and we're going to sing those words back to jesus it's called revelation song sing with us